Voices of Hope is a podcast of New Hope Presbyterian Church of Castle Rock, Colorado. New Hope is a church that puts people first. You can listen to our sermons and podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any other popular podcast platforms. The sermon this Sunday on September 11th is called What Gets Drawn Out of the Water, and it comes from Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. My kids had just uh, gone off to school. They tried to get me to drive them, uh, but I made them take the bus because I was running kind of late. One of the luxuries of being a pastor is you kind of get a lot of control over your own schedule. And so I was still at home. It was a Tuesday uh, and listening to NPR, and that's why I went to the TV, of course, uh, to turn it on. I'm not a TV kind of guy in the morning. I'm not a morning talk show, Good Morning America today, any of that. Um, And, of course, it didn't matter because on that morning, uh, all the channels were showing the same horrible thing, right? I got in the car and went to the school. Went through the front office. They knew me because I'd go to my kids' elementary uh, to read with the kids on days off, that kind of thing. So I went to my two kids' classrooms and took them out. Um, Kate, I guess she was Catherine at the time. Elizabeth. Um, We got in the car and went to our favorite coffee shop that was just down the street from our house. I said, uh, do you know why I took you out of school? Uh, And one of them said, was it the planes? I said, yeah. I said, I want you to know we don't need to be afraid. We're safe. Uh, we, I didn't feel as safe as I was telling them to feel, but that's what being a dad is about, right? I said, Boise's far enough off everyone's map, and we lived outside of Boise. I couldn't imagine how far down a target we would be. Um, I said, but I wanted us to know that today is not a day for business as usual. Today is a day to remember, and I wanted us to do something different so in the future you could look back and say, I remember daddy taking us out of school to go to a coffee shop and have hot chocolate and mocha and visit just for a few minutes. I'll talk to him later today or tomorrow, uh, my 33 and 31-year-old, to see what they remember. We are... As a church into a wilderness of transition, good morning, it's so good to be with you uh, once again. We are in transition into a wilderness. Uh, Jordan and I are using uh, Exodus as kind of a model because we know lots about transition in Scripture. And last week on Labor Day, uh, I started talking about Shifra and Pua, our midwives in the faith, our great-grandmothers, without whom there would be no Moses without whom there would be no Jesus, no Judeo-Christian tradition, and compared that sense of uh, labor and that both manifests uh, to our work as well as midwives, Uh, those who have to go to the past and bring forward, in this case, draw out of our tradition, draw out of the water what it is uh, we're going to bring forward. Uh, What I should have said on Labor Day was uh, a lot of your labor in terms of our relationship is about listening. I was literally listening to a podcast on the way down this morning. 
It was 30 degrees in Conifer this morning. My flowers are not going to be happy today, but we're glad for autumn and to, to be together. I'm listening to a podcast saying um, it's easier to talk up front for 20 minutes than it is to listen for 20 minutes. And I think that's true. Uh, the labor you offer up uh, this fall uh, and all throughout the year and what you're accustomed to doing is the hard work of listening. Um, the labor we have to do together in this year that we're together is a labor of remembering, retelling, deciding what should come forward, what can be left behind. Our labor together is of interpretation about uh, your shared story. My personal labor is learning your story, uh, but I have to learn that from you. Uh, so I know what it is we take ahead, what it is we're going to be making sure the pastor nominating uh, committee includes as they do their work of who is New Hope? Who is New Hope? Where are we going? We don't necessarily know how we find someone to lead us in a permanent capacity alongside Jordan. Um, that's our labor. On another strand, what I'm starting in our journey together is revealing to you some of, my, uh, some of my essentials, my foundational beliefs about our relationship. And that has to do with preaching and how I tend to preach and teach. So I want to talk just a little this morning about a tension between, you might just call it grace and law, all right? That's, you might call it grace and law. You might think of it in our tradition well embodied by Luther and Calvin. I had a New Testament professor in college, Whitworth College in Spokane, Washington, who told us, uh, you should read Martin Luther at night. Martin Luther is full of grace. He's full of the awareness of how uh, we're like dried, crumpled leaves worthy of nothing except embraced by God's love. What a great message. The grace that pervades and that really began the Reformation is grace, is God's unconditional positive regard for you and me and what that can do. He said, and you should read John Calvin first thing in the morning. He said, because Calvin uh, lets you know about the opportunity ahead. Calvin reminds you of the sovereign, powerful God and her claim on you. And every day, Luther helps you cuddle up, feel loved, and fall asleep. Calvin will get you out of bed saying, you better make it good to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Both those things are true. Uh, both those important messages are what we want to bring forward in all of my teaching. My understanding and my initial sermon for Labor Day had been about vocation and call. And maybe I'll tell you that little more elaborate story someday. But suffice to say uh, that my calling came to me uh, to be a preacher and a teacher. And so I've struggled with these two things all along. Uh, one that tends to focus a little more on cuddly and rewarding and one that tends to challenge, uh, even sometimes provoke. I'm excited to be here starting at the fall. You know, uh, Jordan and the committee were very gracious about starting times. And hey, if you can't come until start of October, that's okay. And then my sister said um, to me, nah. Uh, she says, you're a teacher. September's when teachers start. Um, I am jealous, and I'll tell you another time how my own sense of awareness has been sometimes torn 
regret. Now that's half of why I went Fridays to help read was because I was wondering, should I be working here at that elementary school? And so now I'm psyched for next Sunday. Uh, plan on coming with your appetite and bring your friends because, uh, yes, there's worship and then there's education. And after that, it is a long drop for Don Shrum. Uh, this is what we do together. So one of the great things I got to do during my break between being pastor up in Littleton at Genesis Church and starting here, I had a good five, six weeks when I got to breathe and grieve um, and think about you and talk to God for hours about you on the trails up by my house. Went to a reunion down in seminary, uh, San Francisco Theological Seminary, beautiful place, formative for me. Uh, and we had a reunion. It was our 35th reunion, believe it or not. I haven't been to too many of them, um, only a couple. And so some people were there that I hadn't really seen in 35 years. For the first time, and we'd, we spent a few days together. There's like 20, 25 in our class. And a couple hours a day, what we do other than horsing around for these three days and eating together and drinking together and walking and getting caught up, is we'd give each person 10 minutes to report in what have your last few years been like and we had a, a Buddhist singing bowl and after 10 minutes the timekeeper would bring that to tune to be a gentle rounding off where we'd now open it up for five minutes of questions and by the time we had 15 minutes times 25 people we spread that out over the days Roger was his name I didn't do him terribly well I mean I haven't talked to him for 35 years um, not the closest friends um, he retired he retired. Incredible. This is my first experience with people, my own comrades, uh, starting to retire. And part of his story was how great retirement is, how much fun he was having. It's, you, a lot of you in this room know this story. But what he said was this, uh, a little dismissively. He said, uh, besides, in 35 years, I only ever gave two sermons. <laughs> and so we laughed. Uh, and he said, the first sermon was, God loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Not bad, right? Pretty gracious. God loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, and he said, uh, the second servant, always just variations on these two. God loves you, do something about it. I thought, that's, that's pretty good. That may be the whole of the gospel. Uh, all of grace and law in, in one career. Um, if you're old school, like some of us, you know these two terms, justification and sanctification. There's one that's really important. How am I justified? How am I saved? Uh, when was I saved? Was it back in camp? The reform, uh, back in camp, those wonderful evenings when I cried by the campfire? Was it that wonderful sermon I finally got to hear my associate pastor preach that made me... Our reformed answer to that is, of course, um, I was saved 2,000 years ago. It has nothing to do with your preacher friend, uh, nothing to do with your decision, nothing to do with your tears. That's all good news. That's all great stuff. I want to hear all those stories. And we're only saved through grace, not by our cognitions, not by saying a magic sentence, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Now I get in? Nah. It's all grace. But that's also the least interesting aspect of it. The question for us who have been in church forever is, what are you going to do about it? 
Uh, for our country, indeed, the great majority of emphasis is here. Are you saved? Are you? Please. That's between you and God. Um, I want to know what we're going to do about it. Uh, and I bring this up as part of labor because what you're thinking right now is this is so obvious, Pastor. Uh, it's obvious you've got to have a balance between these two. Some of us were raised with, oh, the Old Testament is law, New Testament is grace. That's nonsense. Old Testament has plenty of grace and forgiveness, God's ongoing second and third options, and our Lord and Savior has plenty of law for you and expectations for you. Um, I've only ever, what I, and again, just as we start our long hello, I've only ever seen imperfect balance on this because we're not perfect. And from my preaching friends who I've been checking in on, especially in COVID years, I'm a little underwhelmed. I only ever see erring that we're bound to do on the side of grace. Um, tell your friends your new transitional pastor is trying to make up for all the others. <laughs> that my, my preferred skewing, my preferred imperfection is it going to require some labor on your part? I expect a lot of my listeners. I get that all the time. I know, I know. Um, I'm trying to make up for something. And frankly, I'm trying to create disciples, not consumers. And I have really nothing less than a desire to turn you into a Bible scholar. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, that's why I've been raised. That's why I believe God has called me into ministry for these last years. And maybe even why God called me to New Hope is that if you find yourself, sooner or later, all of y'all will find yourself thinking, uh, this is a lot of work listening. You're right. Our women are gone this morning, like 20 of them missing. What fun. They're up at Highlands having a great time. I talk, had a great conversation with Joy the other day. What's Joy's last name? She were back here, and we're talking about uh, uh, labyrinth spiritual body. She's leading, and I wouldn't be surprised if even now we'll have to check later on at ten o'clock in the morning if they're doing a practice called lectio divina, which is a reading listening practice. It's taking the story of the baby and reading it once for the facts. Um, please thank Caroline. I'll try to find her afterwards for me. What a wonderful job reading. Um, Reading it once, learning it. Reading it a second time to see what, what percolates in your imagination. And depending on who's doing it, reading it a third time and putting yourself inside the basket, standing by the reeds, an external watcher, whatever that might be. Lectio Divina is a way of letting Scripture read us which is a wonderful way to think about it. This is not just a cognitive exercise, reading, listening. Um, it's something deeper that is both head and, and heart. How do we decide what to draw up out of this uh, Moses story, the start of our Exodus journey? By the way, if this is striking you, wow, I recognize the murderous ruler who's targeting infant boys and then it involves a miraculous escape to and from Egypt and his background is about... A Joseph who is a dreamer 
who ends up with 12 followers. If that's all starting to see uh, Jesus' story, Advent's not for a few months, but you're doing important work already in your head and heart of the way that Jesus completely relies on Moses, the way that our understanding of where we are is based on where we've been, the way that the gospel writers had no way of telling the story of Jesus without first retelling this story. Typology is what that is. Do you remember, uh, I think it's uh, in Prince of Egypt 20 years ago, um, did this remarkably well. There's an intimacy to that story that I really appreciate, even in the animation, and especially in the Moses in the basket scene. Um, An intimacy, yes, there were some dramas, I recall, with waves, but we think of this huge story, and I want you to think of a small story instead at the start. It works better historically. It works better, more accurately for what likely happened. In that telling, mom has the baby that she has to get rid of because it's going to be killed by ugly Pharaoh. And next to her down the river, watching, is a woman who's both daughter of Pharaoh and knows the corruption and the evil that's going on. And what a crime this would be. What a tragedy would be. And the motion is not much more than, I have to give up my son. And the, uh, the almost dishonest naivety lovingness that receives that and says, oh, I'll rescue this boy who could I possibly get to nurse him? I'm available. And so we have a very intimate Moses start in a family that's step families and extensions that includes evil rulers that we're all conspiring behind to save a life. Uh, there's a tenderness to the start of this that I fear we lose sometimes uh, with the grandiosity of it as well. Moshe is his name, means to draw from the water, up, to protect, to cuddle, to nurture, to let it grow. <laughs> this whole sermon is really about hermeneutics. <laughs> this is really a nerdy way to lay some groundwork for what you can expect from me, in turn, what I will expect from us as we read scripture together in the coming months and decide what we're bringing forward. As we read texts, hermeneutics is the rules by which we understand. We have, we have, every now and then in our country, we have a decent conversation around hermeneutics. It's when we get a new Supreme Court justice and we talk about how to interpret the Constitution. It's, hermeneutics is the philosophy behind what we're doing. Uh, it's how you interpret texts. It's where we get words like originalism, or fundamentalism, or inerrancy. It's where our tradition instead asks for a spirit-guided, full-bodied historical assessment, concern for application, careful analysis using any tools we can. That's where we are, how we interpret scriptures. And of course, my individual job is a hermeneutical one of interpreting the text of you. What is it that you should know about New Hope Church 
its past, its practices, its biases, its blind spots, its celebrations, its strengths, etc. So we have a story to tell uh, the PNC, to tell a candidate in a year. In a few minutes, we're going to have a little conversation because that's a shared practice. It's a hermeneutical shared practice is what I recommend both in how I preach, how I approach scripture, and in this private thing that you're paying me to do of interpreting new hope. I can't do it by myself. I can only do it with you. So in a few minutes, I'm going to be asking you this. I'm going to tell you now so you have some music (laughs) and a few minutes to meditate on it. What do I remember? That'll be a lot of different reports. We'll just take a handful today. Um, What will I choose to draw up and bring forward? You might be thinking, what do I want Pastor Don to know about me or New Hope? You might be thinking further ahead, what do I hope the pastor nominating committee includes on a mission study that the committee on ministry has to sign off on before it gets submitted to the national church and put into the system and circulated. It's all a course of hermeneutics and interpreting, going from an ancient story so long ago about a baby and a grieving mom and a horrific regime. And you in these pews somehow this morning What will you do? Uh, What will you be saving, preserving, going ahead? Amen. Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. Go in peace and have a wonderful week.